Chapter Seventeen of Notwithstanding by Mary Chumley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter Seventeen. Life is like a nest in the winter; the heart of man is always cold therein. Rumanian folk song. The lawyer who was to have altered Lady Louisa's will was sent away as soon as he arrived. No one knew why she had telegraphed for him. She had had a second stroke and with it the last vestige of power dropped from her numb hands. She was unable to speak, unable to move, unable even to die. Janey sat by her for days together in a great compassion, not unmixed with shame. Everyone, Roger included, thought she was overwhelmed by the catastrophe which had befallen her mother, and he made shy, clumsy attempts at consolation, little pattings on the back, invitations to come out and have a look at the hay-harvest but Jenny was stunned by the thought that she was in danger of losing not her mother, but her Roger, had perhaps already lost him, and that her one friend, Annette, was unconsciously taking him from her. Her mother's bedside had become a refuge for the first time. As she sat hour after hour with Lady Louisa's cold hand in hers, it was in vain that she told herself that it was foolish, ridiculous, to attach importance to such a trivial incident as the fact that when Roger was actually at her door— he should have made himself late by walking home with Annette. But she realised now that she had been vaguely anxious before that happened, that it had been a formless dread at the back of her mind which had nothing to do with her mother, which had made her feel that night of the choir practice as if she had reached the end of her strength. Is there any exhaustion like that which guards the steep, endless steps up to the shrine of love? Which of us has struggled as far as the altar and laid our offering upon it? Which of us faint-hearted pilgrims has not given up the attempt half-way? But Janey was not one of these, not even to be daunted by a fear that had taken shape at last. We all know that jealousy fabricates its own confirmation strong as proofs of holy writ. But with Janey it was not so much suspicion as observation, that close observation born of love, which if it is once dislinked from love, not even Sir Galahad could endure scatheless. With steady eyes she dumbly watched her happiness grow dim and dimmer. Roger was her all, and he was leaving her. His very kindness might have warned her as to his real feeling for her, and it seemed to Janey as if for months she had been shutting her eyes forcibly against the truth. There is a great deal of talk nowadays about losing the one we love, and that attractive personality generally turns out to be some sagacious stranger who has the agility to elude us in the crowd. But Roger was as much an integral part of Janey's life as Halver was part of his. Janey's life had grown round Roger's. Roger's had grown round Halver. Small incidents spread over the last two months since Annette had come to Riff rose to her memory. Things too small to count by themselves hooked themselves like links one after another into a chain. For instance, the Ipswich Agricultural Show. Janey had always gone to that annual event with Roger and Harry, and since the blacks had come to Riff, they had accompanied them. It seemed pleasant to Janey to go in a little bunch together, and Mr. Black was good-natured to Harry and took him to the side-shows, and Janey always had a new gown for the occasion. She had a new one this year, a pink one, and a white straw hat covered with pink roses and Roger had said approvingly, "'My word, Janey, you have done it this time.' 
They had taken Annette with them, in a flowing, pale, amber muslin, which made her hair and eyes seem darker than ever, and which Miss Black, in her navy-blue silk, pronounced at once in a loud aside to be theatrical. When they all arrived, they divided. Annette, only she did not like the pigs and sheep. Janey at once said she preferred them, because she knew Roger did. If, if there was one thing more than another that Roger loved, it was to stand among the cattle-pens, with his hat a little at the back of his head, exchanging oracular remarks with other agents and stock-breeders, who gathered with gratifying respect the pearls of wisdom which he let drop. For there was no sounder opinion in Losha on a brood mare or a two-year-old vanner than Roger. It was always stiflingly hot among the cattle-pens, and the pigs in their domestic life had no bouquet more penetrating than that which they brought with them to these public functions. Jenny did not love that animal, of which it might with truth be said that its best is yet to be, but she always accompanied Roger on these occasions, standing beside him, a neat, dainty little figure, by the hour together, giving her full attention to the various points of the animals as he indicated them to her. They did the same again this year. Roger said, "'Come on, Janey,' as usual, and hurried in the direction of the cattle-pens, while Annette and Harry and Mr. Black wandered towards the flower-tents. But when they reached the pandemonium of the livestock, Roger appeared dissatisfied. The animals, it seemed, were a poor lot this year. The flower of the Losha land agentry was absent. He didn't see Smith anywhere, and Blower was not about. He expressed the opinion frequently that they must be getting on, and they were soon getting on to such an extent that they had got past the reaping machines and even the dog-carts, and were back near the bandstand, Roger continually wondering what had become of the others. Janey, suddenly hot and tired, suggested that they should look for them, and they set out immediately and elbowed their way through the crowded flower-tents and past side-shows innumerable, till they finally came upon Mr. Black and Annette and Harry at an Aunt Sally. Harry, in a seventh heaven of enjoyment, Mr. Black blissfully content, and Annette under her lace parasol as cool as a water-lily. Jenny never forgot the throb of envy and despair to which the sudden sight of Annette gave rise, and she smiled at her and made room for her on the bench beside her, while Roger, suddenly peaceful and inclined to giggle, tried his luck at the Aunt Sally. They all stayed together in a tight bunch for the remainder of the day, the endless weary day which everyone seemed to enjoy except herself. And at tea-time they were joined by Miss Black and her friend, an entirely deaf Miss Conda, secretary of the Losher Plain Needlework Guild, who had adhered to Miss Black since morning greetings had been exchanged at the station, and who, at this, the first opportunity, deserted her for Janey. And when they all came back late in the evening, Roger had driven Annette home in his dog-cart, while she and the blacks and Harry, who could hardly be kept awake, squeezed into the wagonette. And when Janey got home she tore off the pink gown and the gay hat, and wondered why she was tired out. She knew now, but she had not realised it at the time. She had somehow got it into her head, and if Janey once got an idea into her little head it was apt to remain there some time, that Annette and Mr. Black were attracted to each other. In these days, as she sat by her mother, Jenny saw that that idea had led her astray. Mr. Black's hapless condition was sufficiently obvious. 
but perhaps Annette did not care for Mr. Black. Perhaps she preferred Roger. And if she did... The reed on which Janie's maimed life had leaned showed for the first time that heartbreaking tendency inherent in every reed to pierce the hand of the leaner. Strange how slow we are to learn that everything in this pretty world is fragile as spun glass, and nothing in it is strong enough to bear our weight, least of all that reed shaken in the wind, human love. We may draw near, we may hearken to its ghostly music, we may worship, but we must not lean. Jenny was not a leaner by nature. She was one on whom others leaned. Nevertheless, she had counted on Roger. End of chapter 17